Thank you, guys. You may have a seat. I do hope and pray that it is well with your soul, but the reality sometimes is just not. And that's why we exist at Bellwether. We want to take your hand and walk alongside of you at those times when it's not well. And I do pray that that will be your song today. My name is Jeff Nesbitt. I have the honor of standing in the, uh, in the place that our lead pastor normally stands, John Hugh Tate. I am the youth pastor. John Hugh and his wife Linda are away in Florida. This weekend, they were pre- uh, John Hugh was preaching a wedding. It is great to see you. It's great to see our children's over here with us. If you guys would come up and join us up on stage, we're going to have a little message for you, a special song as you come up here with your lights. You're going to join me and Fran and Amanda. Again, my name's Jeff. Y'all look really good. Y'all come up here. What y'all got? Y'all got some lights, candles, battery-operated candles. That's not hot. I like that. All right, yeah, y'all just have a seat. It's great to see everybody. As you're coming up here, I want you to think of something. I got a question for you. If you were to ask Jesus to teach you something, something that, you know, just think about maybe some of the stories that you've heard that he has done. Maybe uh, if you're familiar with the story of when he walked on water or when he fed over 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread, a few pieces of fish, what would, what would be something that you would want Jesus to teach you? Can you think of anything? All the cool things that Jesus has ever done? Did you have something? What would, what would, you, want, what would you want Jesus to teach you? Teach you to what? To learn stuff. That's awesome. Yeah? Stay close to your parents. Stay close to your parents. Mom and dad... Uh, hey, you can't beat that. What else? To respect, to respect your parents, okay. To worship God. We have some theologians amongst us. Y'all are beautiful. Well, the disciples watched Jesus' life for three years. And they saw all the miracles, all the healings, everything that he did. And you know what the one thing that they asked him? They said, Jesus, out of everything we've seen you do, Will you teach us to pray? They saw the way that he talked to his daddy. And they said, there's something about the way you talk to God. And we want to learn that. How do you do that? And so in Luke 11, chapter 1, it says this. Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say. And he went on and he taught them the Lord's Prayer. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. And he would go on and he would teach them that. And the whole reason he would teach them that is because Father was the life of Jesus. And in order to teach them to pray, think of all the things. Y'all getting ready for Christmas? All the things that you can get under the tree. Well, the one thing that is the most important that we can get from God is his Holy Spirit. He would go on to tell him a story about prayer. And then he would end it like this. He says this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The whole reason we pray is so that God can give us himself in the fullness of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit so that we know what to ask him. 
And there's a story in Romans 8 where it says that the Holy Spirit cries out in our own, in our own lives, Father. And that word Father means Daddy. And so when you pray and you don't know what to pray for, just say one word. Pray to your heavenly Daddy. And just say, Daddy, Father. The Lord's Prayer is all summed up in that one word, Father. I do want to say that uh, at that time, I got caught up with the children, and I forgot to mention that the offering baskets could go around. But it's okay. It is all well. And so if we would, we can pass the offering baskets around as we move forward. And as we do move forward, I want to thank Fran and Chuck Ray, these folks right here. They have given themselves fully to God and to Bellwether over these past couple of weeks. Chris Kellum, our worship leader, has been out with back surgery. And they have stepped up and helped us enter into God's presence through song. And so we want to publicly thank Chuck and Fran. We want to thank Amanda as well. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, they both have full-time jobs. They got a full-time family, but they have fully given themselves. So we praise God for their offering. Let's enter into prayer as we begin to look at God's Word. Blessed Father, you are our prayer. It is your life. It is who you are. When Jesus was on earth, he, he prayed your name. And really, that's all he needed to pray Father. And so we enter into your presence today, and we ask that you would give us the breath of your Holy Spirit in this very moment, that we would receive the fullness of the one who is self-giving love. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we continue our sermon series, Giving is Living. I love the word giving. I especially love it when you put another word with that word giving. For example, extreme giving, generous giving, radical giving. I heard a preacher preach one time on being a generous giver. And he said, you know what? There's just something special when you put two words together. Something electric happens. For example, take a look at the screen at these two words. Hot donuts. I mean, some of your salt, you just melt when you go buy Krispy Kreme and you see that. Something happens. What about the next one? Hot coffee. Now, you know, some of y'all like my dad. You cannot drink coffee unless it scolds your tongue. When you see that, oh, man, you just come alive. Some of you ladies are going to like this next one. Half off. I mean, that is beautiful. Beautiful two words together. We don't want to do things halfway here at Bellwether. And so that's why we have this sermon series, Giving is Living. We want to be radical givers. We believe in that. And so today is part two of our three-week series. Last week, John Hughes talked about a giving God. Next week, he's going to be talking about a giving church. Today, I'm going to be talking about a giving people. You know, today is November 14th, 2010. It's a special day. On this exact day, 29 years ago, a couple from California by the name of Greg and Debbie Suhu got married. Debbie remembers the way that she looked that day in her wedding dress. She said to herself, you know, I just, I look bad. She was taking certain medication 
undergoing certain treatment. All she could remember about that day, November 14th, 29 years ago, is how bad she looked. But Greg, her husband, all he remembers is how beautiful she looked. It's amazing that they were even at the same wedding. They both had two different descriptions on what she looked like that day in her wedding dress. They had met many years before. They were both in their late teens. He was a student at USC. She was a student at Cal State LA. Debbie had captured Greg's heart. Her heart was captured by another man, a man by the name of Jesus Christ. Her devotion, her love for her Lord and Savior amazed Greg. And he wondered, could I ever know somebody like that? Could I ever spend life with somebody like that? Could I ever date a person like Debbie? Well, three years would pass from that first encounter when they met, and they would begin dating. They dated for two years. They'd be engaged for one year, and then they would be married. It was a storybook relationship, except for one thing. Debbie was sick. Started out as just chronic fatigue. It moved into minor aches and pain. Her condition would get worse. She found out that she had lupus. Lupus is a systemic disease, and it attacks the body in unpredictable ways. She would get diagnosed right before their engagement. She would begin chemotherapy right before their wedding. And then it just got worse. Her heart would be inflamed. Her body was covered in shingles. Her kidneys would begin to deteriorate. In 1987, the doctors decided, we need to put Debbie on what is called a cadaver donor's list, meaning someone would have to die in order for Debbie to live. No match could be found. They decided they would have to find a living donor. They began to test family, test friends. No match was found. At that time, Greg, her husband, suggested that he be tested. The chances of one's spouse being a perfect match was slim next to none. But that is exactly what happened. Greg had a choice to make. Would he give his best kidney for his best friend? What would you do? The answer for some of us is, you kidding me? You bet I would. But if we're honest, some of us would have to think about it. We would have to pause. Greg's family had to think about it. They had to pause. They would, raise, they, would, they would raise scenarios and tell Greg all the risks that the surgeries would entail. They raised the scenario, Greg, if you give Debbie your kidney, it's very possible years down the road, she's going to leave you. And they said, Greg, you can't settle on a kidney in divorce court. The doctor even offered Greg a way out. And on top of that, Greg had a family history of diabetes. It was very real that he himself could be put on a donor's list. What would he do? Well, he wouldn't listen to the risk. He wouldn't listen to all the scenarios. You see, Greg had already given his heart to the one that he loved. Why not give a kidney? He did so. 
And his pastor asked him, Greg, why did you do it? Why did you give a kidney to your wife? He expected Greg to say, well, I wanted to save her life. But that's not how he answered. He said, Pastor, I didn't want to save her life. I wanted to change the quality of her life. You see, Greg had watched his wife suffer for nine years. No energy, no strength, no joy. He saw all the trouble that she went through just to get up. Condition to condition, treatment to treatment. He didn't just want her to exist. He said, Pastor, I wanted her to live. She's alive today because Greg gave to her. He has an 18-inch scar that is on his left side of his stomach. And it reminds him every day of the life that he was able to invest in. When they took the kidney, they had to first remove a rib. They're a modern-day picture of Adam and Eve. For Greg Suhu, giving was living. There's a place that few of us aspire to go. It's a place where our worth is not measured by what we have, but what we give. What we give of ourselves. I want us to aspire to go to that place, to enter into that place today. It's found in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 is not the typical place a preacher would go to to specifically preach on giving. Nowhere in those four verses is the word giving said or to give or the word generous. The word love, which is the root of all giving, is not even used in that paragraph. But I believe God wants us to aspire to go to 1 John this morning because it takes us into the very life of the one who is the most giving life ever. The one who could be seen. The one who could be touched. The one who could be looked at. Jesus Christ. But you see, some of us don't really even need the touch of Jesus to give. Christians, non-Christians alike can give on occasion. You don't really need God to touch your life if you just want to give a little bit here, a little bit there. But we need the touch of God if giving is truly going to be living. If giving is not just something that we do, but something that we become. And the point of this sermon, and just to be upfront, this really isn't a sermon today. It's a meditation on the life of Christ. But the point is not to become a more giving people. The world doesn't need more givers. The world needs people who have been touched by God's Son and who embrace His very life. That's what 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4 through 4 is all about. I want us to enter into that moment and read God's Word together. If you would please stand at the reading of God's Holy Word. And I love it when... Jesus' day, when the people would read the Scriptures, it was an actual prayer. They would read the Scriptures and it would be a prayer. I pray that is your heart today. It will be on the screens. It's on the back of your bulletin. I will read it and you can read along. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim 
the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Amen. You may have a seat. So the whole point of John writing this was for fellowship and for joy. It wasn't for giving. He says, that which was from the beginning. No other religion can say that. No other religion can confess that about their God. But Christianity has that privilege. Which we have heard. You ever wonder what the audible voice of God would sound like? Right there in your midst. We have seen with our eyes. You know, what did Jesus, the giving one, what did he look like? We have looked at. Our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. You see what John's trying to do. He's saying we had God right here in our midst. We could see him. We could hear him. We could touch him. And he says he's the word of life. John's trying to, trying to figure out how do I describe God in our midst? How do you describe him? You know, why didn't he says that which was from the beginning. What was, what was that? How do you describe when God is standing right before you? He's trying to find the words to do that. He says he's the word of life. Why didn't John just say, we had Jesus. We found out that this man was God and that we were able to spend life with him. You know, we saw him. It's almost like John, he's just getting so wrapped up that he forgets to describe Jesus the man because he's so fascinated with the life. And he says, this life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father. I love that word with. It means that Jesus turned his face towards the Father. He wasn't just with him like we're with one another. He wasn't just next to the couch or in the same room. He literally turned his face to the Father, giving himself to the Father. When you give yourself to someone, you turn your face to them. And he says, it goes on to say, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. You notice again what John is doing. In verse 1, we have heard him, we have seen him. Verse 2, we see it. Verse 3, we've seen and we've heard. He, he's getting so caught up, he, he just, he, he's so fascinated. He's realizing why he's writing, what it was that was right before him. He says, we saw him. We saw him. We heard him. We heard God. What exactly did they hear? I wish we could go into everything that they heard that came from the lips of Jesus. We just don't have time. But when the word of life spoke, he gave himself and he spoke life into their life. Encouragement and hope. And in Mark 10, 45, they would hear Jesus say, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The verb tense that John uses is in, in the word heard. It's this ongoing voice that has gone from history all the way to eternity. It's not a word that just goes in one ear and out the other. It's a word from God that goes one ear into the depths of our soul and it keeps on speaking. And John realized this. He realized that when he was with Jesus, and he says this. He realized after he resurrected, 
He gave his life. He gave his life. He gave his life. They heard him. But they also saw him. John says, we saw him. It was as if they could gaze at the face of Jesus as if he was under a microscope studying who he was, what he was doing. It says, we looked upon him. Again, the, 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 the verb that John is using is that we, we were able to, to, to see him so much as if it was a calm, continuous contemplation of this object that wasn't moving. It, it, it was like something that was ever before the one who was looking, and it wasn't going anywhere. John was saying, we didn't just see Jesus. We were able to look into his life, and he's trying to, to explain that to us. And, and I love what one lady in 1867 wrote. I think she captured this for us and, and what John was trying to tell us when they saw God. This lady from Ireland, 1867, wrote a song. It's one of my favorite hymns of all time. It's called, Jesus, I Am Resting. Resting. And I think in her words, she captures what it was like to see God. I believe the word's going to come up on the screen. And I want to look at these words with you. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Thou hast bid me to... Gaze upon thee. Thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power thou hast made me whole. And verse 4 goes on to say, Ever lift thy face upon me as I work and wait for thee. Resting neath, I love that, thy smile, Lord Jesus. Earth's dark shadows flee. The brightness of my Father's glory, the sunshine of my Father's face, keep me ever trusting, resting. Fill me with thy grace. I think that's why John wrote in the first chapter of his gospel, in the first chapter of this epistle that we didn't even talk about. He refers to God as light. And it says, the, the, the sunshine of my Father's glory, the brightness of his face. And they were filled with that, the light of God. And it wasn't just that they could see him. It wasn't that he was at a distance or even his arm's length. They could touch him, he said. And it's the same verb tense, that it was this, this being that was right before them. They didn't have to grasp and wonder if they could touch him. They could reach out and embrace his life. Every time they needed Jesus, he showed up. Every time they had a problem, he was there to touch. Why do I go into all this? I'm not some... some weirdo who's just getting caught up in spiritual la-la land. We can feel the touch of God through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Our witness will touch somebody else with the life of God. Somebody else's witness will touch us. Consider the witness of one lady named Esther Ann Kim. Esther Ann Kim lived in the days of World War II when Japan would possess Korea. And in the country, they set up these shrines and they would... They would worship these shrines. They would bow down to these shrines as false gods. And she knew that if she didn't do it, she would be thrown into prison because her heart was devoted and bound down to Jesus Christ. She knew that she would go to prison. And this is amazing. She began to train herself physically and spiritually, began to discipline herself to go to prison 
She said, I would rather go to prison than bow down to some false god. And so she began to find food that was decaying. And she would eat it, knowing that would be the food that she would eat in prison. I have trouble skipping a meal just to fast. She would memorize over a hundred chapters of the Bible, memorize hymns, because she knew behind bars there would be no scriptures and no song. She would spend hours fasting and praying and seeking the face of God, seeking the voice of God. Francis Chan writes about Esther in his book, The Forgotten God. And he said, because of her obedience to Christ and her constant seeking, the one who could be touched and seen, she heard the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to her. And the voice filled her with an overwhelming love to go to people, to love people. You see, when we move towards God, we always move to another human soul, always towards another. One person that God would move Esther to was a lady who would come to her prison cell. A Chinese lady was convicted of murdering her husband, and she would enter into the same cell as Esther. God began to speak to this lady named Esther about this Chinese lady. And this lady was very angry. She would beat on the walls and scream to the top of her lungs until the, secure, uh, the guards would come in, tie their, her hands behind her back. And God said, Esther, I want to give myself to this lady. I want her to know that I see her, that I know she exists. Will you be the incarnation of my love? Will your touch be my touch to her? Will you let her know that I see her because you see her? And Esther said, I'm willing. At night, it would get real cold. Concrete floors, they were barefooted. Esther would put this lady's feet into her hands. And she would rub her feet to warm this lady. And I don't want to gross anybody out. But I want to tell you the magnitude of the story. This lady's feet were covered in her own excrement. And here Esther is, rubbing this lady's feet, a stranger. I think of Jesus taking the feet of the disciples and touching them. Not only that, Esther would take her food. They were offered small portions of food. For three days, she would take her portion and give it to this Chinese lady. What is it that causes another human being to reach out and touch another, to feed another, a stranger, a murderer? There's only one explanation. Esther was touched by the very life of God. Have you been touched like that? This Chinese lady would end up responding to Esther's love. She would receive Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. She would soon be executed. But as she walked to her death, she would walk to her death alive in Christ. This sermon series, Giving is Living, we'll talk a little bit about money. But perhaps the greatest application is not financial, but relational.
How many dads have lost their sons because they've given all their resources, all their wealth, but they haven't given their person, their physical presence, their touch to them? How many couples have lost their love because they've lost the simple art of holding their hand, the embrace of another? How many singles have lost hope on wanting to give themselves to another human being because the moment they did, that other human has just walked away from them and said, no thanks. Because in America, we have lost the virtue of what commitment is. Do you know what happens when we give ourselves to another? We validate that their life counts, that they matter, that they exist. We say to them, here I am for you. I am here. You can touch me. You can see me. You can hear me. But it even goes further than that. It goes to this. It says to another human being, I see you. I hear what you're saying. How many wives just say, husband, would you just listen to me? I'm guilty of that. It says to another human, I'm here to touch you. I want to hear your dreams, your fears, your insights, your joys. I want to hear what you have to say. I value you. You count. I validate you. That's why John was so fascinated with the life of Jesus. Jesus says, here I am. Touch me. See me. Listen to me. But he said, John, I see who you are. I hear you. Let me embrace you. And God always does that to us. He is always the first giver. 1 John chapter 4, 9-11 through 11 says this. We'll read it together. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might what? Live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God. Pause right there. You know that giving becomes living when you can love somebody who doesn't love you back. Not that we love God, but that he loved God. Us, if you have never been touched by the scriptures, may you be so today. He loved us. What did he do? He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you're a Christian, I hope hope that you and I don't think that we have understood the sacrifice of Jesus that we've heard it all of our lives. Yeah, he's sacrificed. I don't even think that I have become to understand from point A to point B what the sacrifice of Jesus has meant for my life. You see, the apex of giving is sacrifice. It is not how much we give, but about how much it costs us. It costs Jesus everything to make us a giving people. Think about it. Jesus didn't have to go to the cross to heal a leper. He did that before the cross even occurred. He didn't have to die in order to heal a blind man. He healed blind men. He healed the sick before the cross even occurred. There's one thing that he could not do without the crucifixion, and that is turn one heart of a human towards another, one face towards another human being. In other words, Jesus had to die to take my sick, selfish heart, turn it inside out so that it would become a self-giving heart of love. And that changes everything. 
God wants to change everything in our world. He wants to change everything at Bellwether. And he wants to change everything in your family's life. And the only way he can do that is if he changes everything in you. For the sake of others. William Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army. He would give his life to the poor. He was preparing a message many, many years ago during Christmas for those who worked for the Salvation Army all across the world. And in those days, communication was by telegraph. And it cost for every word that you would write in the telegraph. Well, the economy was poor. The Salvation Army didn't have a lot of money. And so he decided to send a one-word message. I love what he said. His one word sent across to the world that they would see was the word others. Others. It's been said that when William Booth would put his children to bed at night, he would lay them in their bed, he would get on his knees, he would brush their hair back, and he would whisper into their sweet little ear, others, others. Perhaps that's the one word that the eternal father would whisper to his own son when he sent him to the cross. What other word could Jesus have heard when he was on the cross and he would look out to a people who didn't love him and he gave himself and he would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. And in between each dying breath, he would whisper to himself, others, others. It had to be the word that John, the disciple, would hear as he was at the foot of the cross, kneeling next to the mother of Jesus, Mary. And he would look up to Jesus, and Jesus would look down to his mom, Mary, and say, Mother, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. The other person in that moment for John was the mother of Christ. Two questions. Who is the other person for you? You know, I think about all the people that we forget about. We go about our day. Think about all the people we forget about. Think about orphans. A child who has no one to touch them. No one to say, I love you. No one to speak into their ear. No one to, to let them know, I validate you, little one. You matter. I think about a widow. We forget about widows. I have a widow that lives right next door to me. And I, I think about a widow who's lost the one that has embraced them for years and they have no one else. And we forget them. I think about the elderly who are in nursing homes or hospices and they're dying. And all they want is for someone to come and hold their hand as they tell their life story. They want someone to cry with. Husbands, what about your wives? Wives, what about your husbands, your children? 
Maybe you're not married today. Who is the other one for you? God the Father is an other. Jesus is an other. The Holy Spirit is an other. Perhaps we could give ourselves to them today in a way we never have. The second question that I have is this. What is the problem that you and I have with the statement, giving is living? If we're honest, there is a problem at the core of our soul with that statement. It takes time to give. It takes energy to give. When we don't give, we don't have a giving problem. We don't have an issue with giving. We have an issue with Jesus. It's not a giving issue. It's a gospel issue. Because Jesus Christ is self-giving love. It is everything who he is, everything he desires us to be. And when we don't give ourselves, at the end of the day, the only thing that we are left with is ourselves and our stuff. Just more and more stuff. Perhaps less of Jesus, if any Jesus at all. I haven't given you anything today as far as points. I haven't given you any steps. I don't want to tell you how to give I don't want to tell you how to be a better giver today. You don't need to be better. You don't need steps. You and I need a Savior to step into our lives to save us from ourselves for the sake of others. Perhaps the one word that sums up our message today, our meditation today, is others. You know, I'm reminded again of of Greg Suhu, who we started our story with today. The, the, the man who gave his kidney to his wife. As he was laying side by side, getting ready for surgery, maybe others wasn't the word that kept echoing in his soul. Maybe he held her hand, looked into her eyes, and the word that kept being whispered to him was her name. Debbie. Debbie. I want us to enter into prayer in this moment. And start off with a a time of silence. And in the silence, I'm hoping that God will step into your life. That you will hear him whisper a name. Someone to give your life to. And if you're sitting next to a loved one, if you would, if you would grab their hand. And feel their embrace. And touch them. As we enter into prayer. Let's bow our heads. In a moment of silence. And then I'll lead us. Father, we pray that the name that echoes in our souls, the name that we are called to give to, is first your name, Abba, Father. We pray that we will hear the name Jesus, the name Holy Spirit. For you have first given yourselves to us. I pray that we will give ourselves to you, that giving will be living. Father, I pray that there's names being heard all across those who sit in the seats today. Perhaps there is someone that wants to give themselves to another, but it's difficult for them to even whisper that name because the thought of that name just brings up a lot of emotions. 
and they can't even whisper that name. I pray in this moment that they will whisper your name in order to have your heart for that person. Jesus, you are the word of life. I pray that in some way we have seen you, heard you, touched you today, that we have been heard by you as you have looked into our lives and into our souls. Thank you that your life is a giving one. We pray that ours will be as well. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, we're going to, to pray uh, a lot more in this service to come. But as we do pray, I do want to remind you about the thorns that Fran offered, the thorns that you can take home with you and remember everything that God has given you, to remember everything that you can give to one another. We're going to sing in Jesus' name.